So this is 2 John 1 through 6. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just, if you have, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. This is the word of the Lord. In John 14, he writes some of Jesus' last words to his friends. I hope this is familiar text to you. I am preaching on 2 John, excuse me, but I believe John was thinking of this when he wrote his second letter. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know the way. We don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. When John writes, not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, he's reminding them indirectly and directly that Jesus is the truth. Our confession says about all which he speaks about. The Bible doesn't speak about everything, but everything it does speak about is trustworthy and authoritative to guide us in. I'm so thankful for Thomas, who frees us to wrestle with the text a little bit. Some of us can just take the text as it presents, and then um, Thomas asks a question. And among other things, he's helping us see that Jesus and then John writing here, speaking metaphorically, Jesus is not a path that we walk on, but he is the way, guides us in all of life. When do we take the Bible as metaphorical and when do we not? I I am increasingly convinced John is spending energy convincing me thousands of years ago, that when the Bible invites us to understand it metaphorically, 
That's when we understand it metaphorically. When Jesus says, walk the way that I walked, he doesn't mean on water. He means loving people the way that he loved. Speaking the way that he did. John loves the word, the apostle, loves the word abide. It's going to, he's the apostle of love. And I think when he writes this letter, some people think that these letters came as a group of letters to the churches around um, Ephesus, what we would now call Turkey in Asia Minor. I'm not convinced of that because 2 John is a little more formal than 1 John, um, but I think they might have come really close together. I think he's thinking of some later words of Jesus in John chapter 15. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This is verse 9 of chapter 15 of the Gospel of John. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Part of the reason that I'm continuing to preach John is because the letters really work together beautifully, both with Revelation and with the Gospel of John and with one another. John is principally concerned to remind people of the things they already know, and he's confident that they know, which is why he doesn't explain everything, which is why he doesn't feel the need at all to sequence an argument, but to remind them, sermonically or aspirationally or inspirationally, remind them that knowing Jesus means loving one another. And what's at stake in his mind, you see it in John 15 from the words of Jesus, and then in his letters, what's at stake is our joy. When we don't do the things he's encouraging us to do, and the things he's encouraging us to do are very basic Christian activities, which are profoundly important if these things are true, what theologians call ordinary means of grace, singing together, praying together, opening the word, hearing it read, hearing it preached. What's at stake is our joy. I rejoiced greatly, John writes, to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. Meaning, those of you that are not, I hope that you start. What's at stake for followers of Jesus is not salvation. That's Jesus' work and not ours. But our joy is at stake. I hope that's why you're here this morning in the hurricane. The elect lady is the church, right? I think that's the simplest explanation. John is taking on the language of Jesus in talking about the local gathering. Jesus described the local gathering of Christ followers as um, the bride. Paul describes the church as the bride of Christ. So John is employing metaphorical language to indirectly remind his people that the gathering of Christ followers is the bride of Christ. So the elect lady, I believe, is, is reference to one church from another church. He's reminding them that not only does Jesus love them, not, not only does he love them, but the church he's writing from also loves that church, and they're in communication with one another. And that's important in and of itself, but then also leading to his very basic but hard-to-practice point, which is anyone who loves Jesus loves his bride, 
which is the gathering of Christ's followers, and the children of that gathering, which is the church. Love is both emotion and choice and activity. And apparently, some of the people in the churches of Laodicea and Philadelphia and Ephesus, these are the churches I believe John was writing to, though he's not explicit, so we're not positive who all read this letter first. Eventually, it began to be passed around in the first century as one of the texts of the early church. Jesus is the truth, and one of the evidences of that truth in their lives and then in our life is our affection for one another. One way that uh, preaching and studying 1 John has been convicting to me is how do I talk about the church to those within and those outside? My talk needs to be loving because I do actually love the church, mostly because of Jesus and then by extension because of the experience of being in it. But it's easier to complain and to remember the negative things. But doing the work of remembering the positive things is an act of love. And it doesn't need to be hypocritical or um, false. When the church is challenging, we certainly discuss that also. One way I've been convicted in studying this is how do I talk about the church? Is it in a loving manner? Jesus is the truth which keeps us. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father, Son, in truth and love. All of the keeping and all of the power are Christ's. We receive it. And then we enjoy it. That's literally what we're doing right now, and it is what we'll do tomorrow, even as we look out our window and in concern. We will continue to abide in him and he in us. Abide means remain under. I love that John, in his second letter, or extension of the first letter, now sounds a little more like Paul reminding the churches of grace and mercy and peace. As I was just staring at these words, sometimes I love a shorter passage. The way it challenges me um, is I'll look at it and be like, these are all words that we've talked about before. Some of you have not been here for every Sunday or much recently because of travel or whatever. Most of these words and clauses and phrases have already come up in 1 John. And so, in my fatigue, wonder if I have any new words. And then John sprinkles in some really important aspects of the gospel and of the, uh, God's pursuing love, which is grace. Grace is his choice of you. Before you did a thing, because you cannot do anything to merit, he pursued you anyway. It's such a lovely foundational aspect of why we praise him and love him is because he came after us. And he's merciful too. It is not only the grace of God that we receive, it is his mercy. Do you know that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your worst moment? Because of the work of Christ. That's part of his mercy. 
doesn't mean he's unaware. When he sees you because of the work of Christ and because of his grace which pursued you in love, he does not see that. It's not only grace, it's not only mercy, it's also peace. And I think you know what peace means. A settled heart. And I tell you what peace looks like, because I think that's one of John's point, is that we continue, we persevere in worship of God and love for one another. I'm not a huge baseball or golf fan, but... What I admire about professional golfers and baseball players is, you know, if they're a golfer or a baseball player and it starts to rain, what happens? Nothing. They don't move. What do I do? If I'm playing golf and it rains, oh, jeez. Do I even still want to, I throw the club, right, because it slips out of my hand. Do I even want to keep playing? Because I don't like the sport that much. How did I get out here in the first place? That's another story. But professionals, they don't even move. Once someone calls the game, we have no idea if they're relieved or sad. They go into the clubhouse or the dugout, but they don't even move. And and I've been thinking about this illustration for a couple of months, actually, but I didn't want to use it at the wrong time. Some of you think I perhaps work too hard on these things. Um, That's what it looks like to abide. That's not a definition of abiding, but as we abide, as we remain under Christ, as we receive his grace and mercy and peace, that's what we are actually able to do. Continue in life regardless of what's happening around us. And it's not that we don't notice, but we're able to continue just like a professional baseball player golfer. Not sure how good of an illustration it is, but friends, abiding is one of the greatest gifts of the kingdom. And God has given you the strength to do that. It is not your strength. It is his strength in you. What Paul calls Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is the truth which keeps us as we walk in it. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. This is where John is absolutely expecting us to understand him metaphorically, that walking in the truth doesn't mean the literal footsteps of Jesus. It means acting the way he acted, learning from him, following his commandments. One of the things I think that um, would confuse any of the New Testament authors, the apostles, and people of the early churches, how our culture believes that we could walk in the truth without community. And obviously, uh, those of you in the room are committed to community because you came to church in a hurricane. Obviously, those of you that are watching church are committed to community because, um, well, frankly, most other channels are more interesting than this one, except if this is true then we long to walk in it with greater and greater faithfulness and clarity. Walking in truth means acting like a Christian everywhere you find yourself. And John is troubled because some are and some are not. He's not troubled about the ones who are. He's rejoicing greatly, and he's implying there are those who are not. 
the only way, not the only, that's not true, but the dominant way that we know that we're walking in the truth is in community. Your job can be a challenging place to act like a Christian consistently. And what you need is prayer and ordinary means of grace and community, which also means someone who actually understands your job. One of um, the more interesting parts of being an adult and having friends is learning what they do and what it's like to be them. Some of your jobs I understand more easily. Some, it's more challenging. But when you explain it to me, then we're having a conversation about what it means to walk in the truth in the place that you find yourself in. Walking in the truth with your family is a specific opportunity. And I'm smiling because my family's just very fragmented and odd. And yours probably is too. It's not possible to walk in the truth alone for more than, for long. I'll say it that way. We need one another. We need one another's prayers. We need one another's discernment. We need one another's help and advice. And sometimes we need one another just to sit with us. Jesus is the truth which keeps us as we walk in it in love. Surprising no one who's familiar with John's letters. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Listen to John 13, 31 through 35. I'm jumping back to the Gospel of John, because I believe the Apostle John is remembering Jesus' words and reminding his people of them. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. It's referring to the crucifixion. More specifically, but I want you to have a little context. I know you're like, what does this have to do with Second John? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When John writes, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as it, you've heard it from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. And he just called it a new commandment, and then he said it was from the beginning. And you're like... Which is it, John? Well, the commandment is the same. In It's the word love, love God and others. That's always been the command to God followers. What's different about it is the sacrificial nature of Christ's love. And that doesn't mean that we don't have limits and things to do and not do. What's new is the self-sacrificial element of love. And that's how we prove to our own hearts and show the world that we love God, is actually, sacrificially love one another.
in church, family, job, neighborhood. So the old commandment, and John just goes back and forth because he expects you to be able to handle that and me to be able to handle it. The old commandment is love God and neighbor. The new commandment is love God and neighbor sacrificially. And we have very basic opportunities to do that, that the world would not esteem as great, and yet in the hands of a loving God, our small moments of faithfulness on Sunday mornings, in friendship with one another, and locally, make an incredible difference in the world, bringing the love and the peace of Christ everywhere that there are hospitable Christians. Much of this is regular New Testament stuff. What does it mean this afternoon? What it means this afternoon is, remember to check on a few friends from church. Also check on your family and your neighbors. But go ahead and check on a few friends from church. And some of you are newer to the church. We have an online directory. You could get to know some people in the hurricane. Do you have a generator? Could be a question. What are you going to do if your power goes out? What happened when you went to the gas station yesterday? Was it crazy, or did you get there at the perfect time? And that doesn't sound like a really profound or powerful sermon illustration, perhaps, but it is if these things are true and Christ calls us together to care for one another, a spiritual family. Well, I not only hope that all of you are able to stay safe, but I hope that you are able to check in with one another this afternoon and tomorrow. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise and thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your peace. We ask that as we abide in you, you would fill us with the knowledge and power of your Holy Spirit, that we might indeed love you and the neighbors you've put into our life well. Amen.